right. Good morning and welcome to a new series. That was uh, that dance company, a sodium dance company, some great friends of mine who uh, uh, actually that uh, dance crew was launched through a church that I used to uh, uh, pastor. And so fantastic. Uh, thank you, Sodium Dance Company. Um, I think we're going to let our... Uh, all right. I was going to let the youth go, but I'm going to let you go in just a second because I'm going to do something first. Uh, I want to talk about last week we had some some missionaries that are going on short-term missions, and I just want to share with you that it, within that five minutes, more than $14,000 was donated just by our church, our little tiny church, to those missions. So it is ridiculous. Every single person had a sponsor, which they were required to get. Uh, some had two. Uh, some beautiful lady had three of them, and she was like, you know, she, within five seconds, her hand was up, and she was fully funded and covered. And so the total amount of money that needed to be raised is 16000 by the by the time we get to June. And we're at 14000 to uh, $20 right now. And, there, and I have four or five uh, people who had already contacted me that say they still want to support. So fantastic church. It, it doesn't get any crazier than that. If you've ever been on short-term missions and you tried to send out your like mission support letter for grandma for $25 and someone else, and you've begged everybody, and then all of a sudden you're at $248 and you still have... 1,500 left to raise. It's so overwhelming. And to see the support of the church was fantastic. God, it was amazing. Truly God thing. I hope that you were blessed as you joined. It is our church sending and our church going. Not all of us can go and not all of us can send, but together we can both send and go. So fantastic. Great job, you guys. Youth, you're out of here. Get out of here. I think it's not, right? I think it's not the first one. Yeah, there you go. All right. So now that we got rid of them, here comes the shout party. You guys ready? I love God and I love y'all. I love God and I love y'all. Awesome, awesome. So glad to be here. So stoked, you guys. Uh, um, man, we're starting a new series called One, When Jesus Prayed for You. And I know it seems sort of a weird title, um, but you'll figure out what's going on over the next four weeks as we go through this uh, series. And it'll make sense by the end, probably. No promises ever, right? When I first started ministry, many of you know that I got, uh, I became a Christian at Bethel Korean Church, where a lot of us are familiar with that place, right? I became a Christian there, and uh, I was started to serve there, and I became a pastor there, and ultimately uh, um, started my own church after that. But while I was there, first, maybe first year of ministry, uh, I had been teaching for a little while. I was the, helping out in the assistant children's department, and um, I was in that place, and this strange man walks up to me that I'd never seen. And uh, uh, he was like Korean, Korean, not just like Korean, right? So he was like from the Korean, Korean people. And they, and they don't really come up to me very much because I'm not, I'm less Korean than they are. And, uh, and so it was kind of a strange thing. This guy comes up. He, it was just a regular day. He just comes up to me and he says, hi. He goes, my name's Deacon Kwan. Uh, and I said, hi, I've never seen you in my life. Like, and you know, when you're young and in ministry, I was probably like, 20 years old or 21, I was scared, right? Because an old person coming up to you and, and then saying, like, I'm Deacon Kwan. And I'm like, ooh, what I do? I'm in so much trouble. I didn't even know why. And I, so I was all scared. But he said, he said to me, I've been praying for you every day for more than a year. And he said, I just wanted to come up and ask if there's any specific things I could pray for because I'm kind of a little bored for just praying in general. And I was like, what? Like, I don't know you. How could what? You're like Korean, Korean. Like, so the phrase that I told you, it wasn't that smooth in English. He was, it was, it's much, much less accent, much more accented, but I didn't want to be offensive, you know. 
I could do it, trust me. But, but I was like shocked. I was blown away. I, I couldn't even really wrap my head around this person that I had never met was praying for me every single day. And I had no idea, and I had never met him, and I didn't have a relationship with him. He, there, he didn't have a vested interest in me. I, I didn't have his kid as a student. There, it was nothing, and he was just praying for me. Having someone praying for you like that, that was really powerful to me. It was really moving, and it was important. And it, like, it, it changed the way like, I saw the church and people, and even people who I don't know, that they could be praying for me. And it was really powerful in my life. What if I told you that there was a guy that was praying for you? even before you were born? And what if I told you that guy wasn't just a regular guy? What if I told you that person that was praying for you before you were born was Jesus Christ, God of the universe, praying for you specifically? Now, that's, that's pretty exciting. That's a little bit better than even Deacon Kwan. Like, I love Deacon Kwan, and, and that's even a little bit better. Over the next four years, we're going to look at this passage where Jesus literally prays for you and I. It happens, uh, so, so there's the Last Supper. It's right towards the end of Jesus' life. Day before he gets crucified, does some washing of feet, hangs out with his disciples, and he goes out, and then he, he starts to pray. The first part of his prayer is, God, would you be glorified? The second part of his prayer, he prays for the 11 disciples because Judas had gone to be judas uh, So he's praying for the 11 disciples. And then he comes and he prays this. This is recorded in the book of John. He says, my prayer isn't just for those 11 disciples I was just praying for God. He says, my prayer is for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So this verse, just, just prior to this, he was, he was praying for his 11 disciples. But he also had the heart and the vision to pray beyond them. He didn't just pray for them. He included this part that we're going to look at today and in the next couple of weeks. He prayed for those who would come to faith by the testimony of the disciples, future believers. That's us. We are, we are future believers to the place of this, the apostles. So he's talking to the disciples and saying, I'm not only praying for you, but there's going to be some people who come to faith through the ministry that you have, and they're in the future, and I want to take a minute and just pray for them specifically. The fact that Jesus prayed for future believers is really cool because it, it shows that he expected the disciples would be successful. But this might not have been apparent at the time because just in a few more hours, they're all going to ditch him and be aban- abandon him, and in the very next day, he's going to get crucified and killed. And so this is an odd prayer unless you know the outcome isn't failure. The outcome is ultimately success because in the next few hours, it's going to look pretty bad for Jesus. Jesus went to the cross knowing that his work would endure. But by the optics of the moment and by worldly standards even of success, Jesus' mission wasn't really all that. He had 11 disciples. There were a couple, maybe one or 200 other people who followed him around that weren't one of the 11 disciples, but they were, they were followers around and they'd been with him for a while. A couple of times he had crowds of up to 10,000 people. He only did three years of ministry, and then he gets crucified by the Roman government on a Roman cross. So by the optics, that's, that's, not, that's not success. <laughs> I had a big rally one time, it was 10,000, then I got killed. But Jesus has something else 
in mind. He knows that there was more to come. The entire tone of this farewell discourse that's recorded by John is built on the assumption that after the resurrection, the disciples would renew their faith, they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and continue in ministry with power. He didn't have a vague hope in what God would do through the disciples. Jesus left his earthly work in full confidence that the work of God would be formed, formulated, and successful through the lives of these disciples and through the lives of people who would follow them. Jesus knew his mission would succeed. He knew there would be future believers of whom we are part. Jesus had us in mind when he was praying. So here's what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those that will believe in me through the message that all of them may be one, is his first part of his prayer, that all of them may be one. Here's the first point in the prayer for us, oneness in Jesus. Now, if you'd permit me to expand on the idea of all believers being one together uh, in Jesus next week, as Jesus is going to hit this issue a little bit later in his prayer as well. So we're going to see that oneness in Jesus will necessitate a oneness with one another, with other believers, since Christ, uh, since in Christ we are all members one in him. We're one in unity together, we're young, one in our destination, and we're one in our love. And so Jesus envisioned this great multitude like before the throne of God, and he envisioned that it, a people from every nation, race, color, language, class, social level, that they'd be all together. And Jesus prayed that, that we might be able to rise above our different backgrounds and actually be united in unity, one under him. Now, we're going get, to get to that a little bit more next week. But here's the part where we're getting to today. Here we're going to see the place where Jesus prays that you would be one with him. So he's saying, God, here's my prayer for them, that they would be one with you, God the Father, with me, Jesus. Here's how he says it. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So Jesus' prayer for future believers was that they could be in God. When we take the step of faith and we invite Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, when we accept that free gift of salvation and redemption and we unite in his death so that we could be united in his resurrection, we're like supernaturally united with Christ for eternity. So Jesus' prayer indicates that, that we have relationship with God similar to the relationship of the Trinity. Now just pause and think for a second. Jesus said, God, just like I'm with you, this is Jesus Christ, God of the universe, talking to Father God of the universe, and he said, just like you and me have a relationship, Father, and we've had it for eternity, and it's perfect and powerful and the greatest thing in all of, all of existence, we have that, just like we have that relationship, I'm praying that they would have that relationship with us also. That is truly fascinating. I mean, it's, it's profound. It's, you, you, you try to pause and think about it, but it's actually, for me, it overwhelms my mind. It's, it's fantastic. It's incredible. It's overwhelming. It's, it's amazing that God would say that I could have a relationship to him. He prayed that our connection to God would follow the pattern of the unity of the Trinity, the Godhead, specifically that relationship between God the Father and God the Son. If we actually are in God and He in us, then that oneness provides 
the necessary connection for right living. See, this is the key to everything. He says, what I'm going to pray for them is that they would become one with us. And from that place, all other things exist for us as believers, from this place of oneness. Jesus said a few chapters earlier in John chapter uh, 14, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody goes to the Father except through me. Like you can't enter into into the kingdom or service of the kingdom or membership of the kingdom except through Jesus. He says, you've got to come and be in me if you want to be in the kingdom. Neither can we do anything in God's kingdom apart from Jesus. After that chapter of John 14 comes John 15, and Jesus says this about provision of spiritual power in his kingdom. Jesus says that I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you're going to bear much fruit because apart from me, you can't do anything in in a kingdom God's spiritual sense. The basis for all living and all functioning in the kingdom of God is our oneness with Jesus. I don't know about you, but, but have you ever felt like helpless in life? Like there was stuff beyond your ability. Have you ever felt like you couldn't do anything in certain situations? Have you ever felt like sometimes even about your own life? You're like, I can't even control anything. Have you ever felt helpless in circumstances or situations? Have you ever felt helpless about your own personality? Like sometimes I'm like, I, I can't even change me. I can't even worry about the world. I can't change me. Like, there's stuff I don't like about myself. I, I, I bug myself. I can imagine how you guys can put up with me because I'm bothered by myself just living with me. And I can't change it. And there, the, do, you, do you ever feel helpless about, like, like, worries in your life? Like, there are things that are beyond your control or, or you feel helpless in some of the sins that you don't seem to be able to break and you've been trying and you've been praying and you gave it over to God and then it, came right back, and then you gave it over to God, and then it came right back, and you go, I don't want this pride, and then I'm so good at getting rid of pride. <laughs> like, like, they say, like the same prayer, right? Like, like, how does that happen? I just threw this down. It's right back on you. Well, consider this verse and get connected to someone who can affect those areas. Yeah, you can. Well, how about we connect to the power of God And through the power of God, he can change those areas. But only as if, as when we are are one with him. Now, being one in Christ doesn't mean that we melt into uniformity. Like, we don't get absorbed into the collective. Or if you're a super nerd, you don't get part of the Borg, right? This is, never mind. Only nerds like it. You don't get assimilated into the Borg. Jesus invites us to be one with he and the Father, just like he is. Not in uniformity, but in unity, because we remain distinctly ourselves. Just like within the the Trinity, Jesus is distinctly Jesus from the Father. But what a cool thought. Yeah, I mean, if this is real, well, what if the Bible's actually real, and I think that Jesus is praying for us, and he says, like, I could be part, I could be one with God, right? What a really cool idea that I could be part of the divine. Now, I can't become divine. I don't become a god. But, but God says, hey, come on up here. Sit here with me a second. Be one with me. Like, this is the divine God of the universe. And he's saying, come be one with me. Come be part of me. Come be, come be united with me. Sharing closeness. 
the same closeness that Jesus and the Father share. God's offering that to you and I. God's saying, like, look, come on and be with me. There's a closeness that you can't even imagine that's beyond your ability to think, reason, or believe even that's available for you if you'll just come get united with me, to become one with me, sharing in love and community with God, sharing all good things together with God. If I united with with Jesus, what does it mean for my day-to-day? Well, you see, if I unite with Jesus and I become one with God, not becoming God, we're going to be careful that we don't believe that. It's not Mormonism or, you know. But if I become one with God and share in all things, that that makes everything in my life divine. Because I've joined part of the eternal God. It means every day is a day of my eternity because my eternity can't stop. Like even if I like have a heart attack right now, like my, that, that I'm just going to experience eternity in a different place than here, but I'm still alive. I'm still me. I'm still part of God's creation. And I don't disappear and I don't get sucked into something else. And so if I really do become one with God, then it changes my day-to-day. So then in my day-to-day, there's no such thing as non-God moments. There's no such thing as secular and sacred anymore. Like if, if I'm one with God, then every moment is divine. Every single moment of my life. Divine in all the little things as well as the big things. So it isn't just a missionary who's doing divine things. It isn't just the pastor who's doing divine things. In fact, it's, it's taxi mom driving to another stinking soccer game. <laughs> you ever had your kids in soccer? That is a divine moment. Because there's no separation. If I'm one with Jesus, then every moment that I'm living is a divine moment with Jesus. Whether I'm taxi-momming it around, whether I'm, I'm at Costco, Costco is a divine moment. Helping your kids with, the, with their homework, mm, divine moments. Doing your job well. Doesn't matter if it's a crappy job or a great job. Doesn't, all the jobs here are crappy compared to heaven. Come on doesn't matter. Doing your job well is a divine moment because you're united with God. Loving the unlovable coworker, oh, dang, I can't stand that person sometimes. And loving them despite that, that's a divine moment. Blessing those who curse you, it's divine. Hold up. Traffic jam can be divine. It doesn't feel like it always, right? But if I'm one with Jesus then that traffic jam is a God moment because I'm with God. So if we're united with Jesus, then every person we meet is an opportunity for the divine. Every interaction we have with every single person, the other person stuck in the traffic jam, the coworker that's tough at work, the friend at school who is making questionable decisions, the family member, every relationship and interaction It's a divine moment. It's a moment that you can show off your, in a good way, show off your unity with Jesus, which happens to be the next portion of Jesus' prayer for us. So he had just said, Father, as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that, say with me, so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, being one with Jesus is the basis for effective evangelism in the world. 
The benefit for being one in Jesus is not simply or only for yourself. There is an incredible benefit for yourself. Yes, there is, but it isn't only for yourself. We see that there's a so that in the prayer. Be united with me, one with me, so that other people can believe in what as well. There is a result or a so that that comes from you and I being united with Christ. It prompts a change in us that becomes obvious to the world around us. Our oneness with God points to the reality that there is hope for people beyond this world. Our one with, with, with Jesus allows people to see that there is something else. As a result of my connectedness to God, there has to be, needs to be, ought to be a result. And that result is other people seeing Jesus too. Is your, testi- is your life a testimony to Jesus? Here's an awkward Christian question. Christian question, ready? Like, uh, that we don't ask. So don't answer it. I'm not asking you to embarrass yourself. But answer it internally. How many people have become believers through your transformation, testimony, and witness? Don't answer. Just think about it. Because there is a result if you are one in Christ. Have we even bothered to tell people around us about Jesus so that they could believe him in, in him also? Have we even bothered to do it? Here's like one of those, as I'm thinking through it, reading through it, looking at my life, examining it, it's one of those gut, gut check moments as I'm looking at this. And I want, I want to invite you to that gut check too right now. Think about the real, actual people of your life and my life. Just think about actual people who you, day-to-day co-workers, whether you're in school, then it's schoolmates. If it's family, it's family mates. This year, have you shared Jesus with people that don't know him? Well, this year's early, right? It just turned 219, yeah, yeah, three months. It is amazingly important, and it's critical, in fact, that you show Jesus in your actions and lifestyle. But you must also come to the place where you share Jesus with people, the truth of Jesus with your words. I think this is often our sticking point. I think I, I could pretty confidently say that as you guys walk in your work worlds, as you walk in your life, that you are living witnesses of him. And I think we almost always leave it at that. I think for most of us, we say like, look, I'm witnessing with my lifestyle. I'm witnessing with my kindness. I'm witnessing with my love. I'm witnessing with the way I interact with people, with my integrity on the job. And that is fantastic. And I think it is 100% necessary. And I think it's actually the bigger piece to evangelism. And it's the basis for evangelism. It's the groundwork that is necessary for evangelism, that you've lived out kindness and goodness and love to them, that you've showed them through your actions that you're a person of integrity. That is necessary groundwork effective evangelism, but there must, at some point, be actual evangelism. Because people cannot believe in one whom they have not heard about. And today's passage doesn't allow us to abdicate that responsibility to the pastor or to Greg Laurie. Like, he'll have one of those crusades. They'll go to Greg Laurie, and Greg Laurie will have a result from being one in Jesus of believers. Or 
Someone on the radio maybe will share Jesus with them and they can be believers. This passage is Jesus praying for you and it doesn't leave any room for you to abdicate that responsibility of generating believers for his kingdom to somebody else. Jesus is saying, I believe you right there, as you follow and come become one with me, you will have a result. There will be a so that. And if we're looking at our life and there's no so that, then I think it's something that we've got to consider. It's something that you've got to take an internal journey on and figure out, Jesus, what the heck is going on? Do I simply say I'm witnessing with my life because I'm too scared to actually share you with words? with people. And is that actually an excuse? Just living out my life in front of people. And I don't want it to be. Jesus is praying for each of us so that through our lives and our unity that we could share with him, uh, share with people about him. So here's the big ask. I'd be careful because I was practicing and I said the big ask. Here's the big ask. For many of us, it's time to step out in faith and tell, tell someone about Jesus and what he's offered them. And, and you'll know it's you because you feel nervous right now. <laughs> You're like, oh! The person that's not them, they're asleep. They're not listening. There's nothing stirring. There's no moment. There's zero anxiety. They're like, that's not me. I don't care. <laughs> But as I'm talking about sharing Jesus verbally, you're like, no, that couldn't be me. That must be them. <laughs> That's how you know you feel a little nervous right now for this big ask, and you're worried what I'm going to say, what I'm going to ask you to do. This week, I'm going to ask that you would speak the words of life to somebody, the words of Jesus. I know you're tempted to say, like, I'm too scared, or like, I'm a shy person, or I'm embarrassed, or I, I, I don't know enough about the Bible, <laughs> Let me teach you what you need to know. Jesus loves you, and he loves your friend. That's it. You're good. You learned everything you need. That's all you got to tell them. Hey, friend, Jesus loves you. That's your verbal witness to them. You might say, I'm not ready. But if you're saying, I'm not ready, you're really just telling God, I'm not interested. There's no such thing as not ready. Not if you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Every, Every moment is a ready moment. Every moment is a divine moment. But what a really great place to be. Like, you're not smart enough. You don't know enough Bible. You're too scared. You're embarrassed. They're not going to listen to you. But that's fantastic. Because when you do share, and then they respond to God, it will be all the glory of God and none to the glory of you. See, if you were great and knew all the answers, you were smart and charismatic, then it's just because you're really great. You convinced them. But Jesus says, I don't want you to convince them. Remember, the power, the persuasion, and the pull to salvation comes from God, not from you. You're united with him, so you're like, God, I'm with, I'm with this guy, and I'm just going to tell you because I'm with this guy, and all the power comes from him, and all the transformation comes from him, and all the spiritual work comes from him, and he has been working on this person that you have in mind. He's been working on their heart for months, for years, for decades. They've been hearing it last month. They heard a message, some, and then they saw this stupid sign, Jesus loves you on the street, and they're like, how offensive. And then they saw another thing and another thing, and now they're waiting. And this week, you're going to come up to them, and, and you're going you're to share Jesus with them, and they're going to be like, yeah, that's what I want. And you're like, what? How could, not really? Wow. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> but it shouldn't be because a result or a so that of our lives united with Christ 
is that so that people could believe. You got nothing to worry about because it's all about God. You're united with him. He just says, just say a couple words. And you're, a couple words. The rest is him. It doesn't get to be you. Otherwise, you get glory. It isn't how smart or persuasive or kind or good you are. Otherwise, you get to get some credit. Like, hey, I saved that person. You didn't save anybody. It's all God work. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little help because I know it's scary. On the back of the chair in front of you, there's a flyer. Go ahead and grab that right now. I know you tried to dodge the ones on the way in, so... <laughs> Mian, was, Mian was trying to give them out, and you're like, damn, good. It's not, it's not beverages. We're actually telling you to take one, take some notes. That's our church flyer. So I'm going to make a really easy in for you, uh, for you and your friends. This is an excellent starting point. So go ahead and grab that flyer, uh, and here's a starting point for your conversation. I want you to take that. In case you don't know how to start a conversation with the person you've been thinking about and praying for, all you do is go up to them and say, hey, Mary. I've been praying for you. I just wanted to invite you to church. There you go. That's it. It's so easy when you do it. It's like a church and stuff. No, it's so easy when you do it too. If you get bold enough, you don't use this. Just say, hey, Mary, I've been praying for you. Just want to let you know that Jesus, the God of the universe, loves you. Just that. Don't push you. Don't need to get out your Bible and hit them or your digital Bible and break your screen. Just share with them. That's it. And I know it's a big ask, but I am actually asking you to share Jesus with someone this week. Don't raise your actual hand. Raise your internal hand. Jesus, I want to do this. <laughs> well, Jesus, I don't want to do it, but Jesus, I am going to do it. You see, if you are united in Christ, every moment is a divine moment. And there is a so that always so that people can believe a benefit for me and a blessing for the world. So would you join me and just do this with this, this person you have in mind? Would you just grab their kind of name in your hand? If you can imagine their name floating in a pool of water in your hand. If you could just hold on to their name for a second. We're going to pray for them as the praise bed's going to come up here and we're going to close in song. So just cup your hands and symbolically kind of hold that person's name. And I, and I want you to pray over them. And then we're going to continue in worship a little bit. And then we're going to close the service. But I want you to take a minute right now and just pray for that person. Just take, take their, their, their name in your hands and just start to pray over them. And just say, God, I'm scared. God, I, let's be honest, I don't want to do it almost. And I don't know why I don't want to because I actually like you, God. But would you give me strength? God, would you give me the moment this week? Would you give me the opportunity? And, and would you help me to be creative to even manufacture the opportunity? And I want to pray for this person. I want to pray for Mary. I want to pray that she'd come to know you, Jesus. And I'll pray that you'd give me the chance to share you with her. I've been living my life in front of her. Been laying the groundwork. But God, give me the opportunity to share this week with her. Would you pray for that person? And then... In a minute, just join us in worship.